When we say sustainability, when we talk about the research at the Institute, we are really talking about how do we develop tools and resources that help companies to not just build a sustainability program, but think about how do they embed that mindset of economic, environmental, and social responsibility throughout the entirety of their organization, and really think about the long-term sustainability of the communities that they serve. Welcome to another episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. I'm your host, Madhavi Shankarling, and my guest today is Morgan Scott from the Electric Power Research Institute, or EPRI, where she is the Sustainability and Ecosystem Stewardship Research Manager. Morgan is incredibly passionate about sustainability, so today we take a closer look at the work being done by EPRI in this space. What do we mean by sustainability and the complexity and challenges this fascinating area grapples with? We also hear about Morgan's own path, the book she co-edited, and her experience representing EPRI in an international setting. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to the podcast, Morgan. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Morgan, could you please tell me a little bit about the organization that you work for and what your role is within that? Sure. So I work for the Electric Power Research Institute. So it's a nonprofit 501c3 organization that is really focused on advancing research and development across the value chain of the electric power system. So from generation through delivery uh, and all the way through to ultimate customer utilization. Uh, And so we are really thinking about how do we advance the technology in a way that really helps uh, to make the power system work more efficiently and effectively um, for society at large. That's really the public benefit mission piece of our work. We really focus on the collaborative model. How do you bring all of the right voices to the table to inform this work and move forward efforts that really drive societal change? So I'm really lucky. I get to be the research manager for our sustainability and ecosystem stewardship team. And so that really has three different uh, programs that map up to it. So we have our ecosystem risk and resiliency team, endangered and protected species, as well as our strategic sustainability science. So a lot of really neat work that happens there. I also get involved in all sorts of different projects related to our indoor agriculture work, understanding climate scenarios. And I was just named the leader of a new initiative that the Institute is launching this spring called Climate Ready. So that's really focused on resiliency and adaptation of the power system moving forward into 2050 and beyond. Fantastic. Well, we might kind of break that down a little bit because that is certainly a a, a large portfolio of work that you look after there. Um, For sure. So so starting with the sustainability piece, um, would you mind just sort of breaking that down a little bit and maybe explaining that a little bit more? What are the components of that? I'm sure that listeners are probably um, familiar with the traditional financial um, metrics, if you like, but what what are some of the components of the social environmental areas? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the trick with sustainability is it means all things to all people. It's kind of a nebulous topic. It has been for a long time. Although I will say over the past few years, the conversation and dialogue around sustainability has truly evolved. So you kind of indicated 
uh, in your question, that concept of the triple bottom line, right? So for something to be sustainable, it really is thinking broadly about economic, environmental, and social responsibility. Uh, so you're right about the economics. That's kind of the traditional building blocks of a company and economic performance. I would also say the governance piece fits there as well. Uh, so how is a business structured and how is their oversight of the different procedures, activities, operations, et cetera? Then, of course, there's the environmental piece of things. So that's air, water, waste, land. Um, how are we caring for natural ecosystems and natural resources in a way that um, ultimately protects our planet? Uh, and then the social aspect. And the social aspect is one that has really accelerated in conversation, I would say, particularly over the past uh, two years or so. That is predominantly in the equity and environmental justice space. But even before that, conversations around workforce diversity and inclusion and some of the other community aspects of sustainability were really um, coming to the forefront in the conversation. So when we say sustainability, when we talk about the research at the Institute, we are really talking about how do we develop tools and resources that help companies to not just build a sustainability program, but think about how do they embed that mindset of economic, environmental, and social responsibility throughout the entirety of their organization? Uh, and then how do they even take that a step further and really think about the long-term sustainability of the communities that they serve? And so currently, if my understanding is correct, re reporting on sustain sustainability is voluntary. In your experience, have you seen an increase in the number of companies that are reporting on the sustainability metrics, if you like, or, or reporting on their triple yeah. bottom line? Oh, for sure. We actually at the Institute run an annual sustainability reporting survey. So for members that participate in our energy sustainability interest group, each year we go out and we ask them, where are you responding in terms of voluntary disclosure? What kind of effort does it take? What kind of value is being received, et cetera? And so I can actually tell you from the numbers that we have definitely seen an increase in that reporting. Actually, it's almost been a double in terms of the average number of reports that our companies that respond to these surveys have reported since 2016. So uh, wow. there are lots of organizations that are asking questions. Those questions are asking for data on a lot of metrics. And our companies that we get the chance to work with are, are spending a lot of time, effort to respond to them and be transparent. Mm, and, and why do you think that is that you've seen that increase? Well, transparency is such a foundational tenet of sustainability, right? That you're being transparent in the way that you operate uh, and share that with stakeholders that are truly interested in and want that information in order to make decisions, investors in order to make investment decisions, customers in order to make decisions with the purse. That transparency is important. I think that then you layer in that there are a lot of organizations that are driving particular aspects of sustainability, right? So you have advocates for climate, you have folks that are really focused on water, et cetera. And so as a part of their focus and their efforts 
being able to ask these companies about what they're doing in terms of their environmental sustainability, in terms of their social commitments, gives them insight to inform their efforts. And, and some have also set up ranking and ratings and lists, et cetera. And so in order to do that, they, they have to ask the companies. And it's a hard decision. We talk often about the burden of reporting, right? Mm. How do you allocate resources in a way that you are in fact being transparent, right? But not spending too much time doing the reporting and disclosure, but actually using those resources to drive the change, right? At what point are you no longer moving the change that you need to report on? I think that's a fair conversation, but what I see is a number of companies that wanna be transparent that want to answer the questions, but have to really start making resourcing decisions. I might move on to another area that you're working in, which you mentioned was the Endangered and Protected Species Program and the Ecosystem Risk and Resiliency Program. Mm -hmm. Would you mind explaining a little bit more about those two? Yeah. Um, So they're fascinating areas and they are areas where I'm not nearly as technically uh, in-depth as my colleagues. Uh, So my background is definitely in the sustainability space in terms of my career progression. Um, But the teams that run this work are, are really fantastic. In the Ecosystem Risk and Resiliency space, it's really recognizing that power companies actually own and maintain quite a bit of land and their assets really are are located in a variety of different spaces where they can encounter all sorts of different ecosystems like wetlands is one great example. And we are developing a tool that helps better understand where wetlands are located for the purposes of permitting, um, for the purposes of planning. And so we really want to think about how do we reduce our impact on natural resources. Again, like I said before, in order to kind of protect these really vital aspects of our planet. The other piece of that is the climate is changing. Uh, And so how can we use data that climate scientists are producing to inform our understanding of how natural ecosystems are evolving and what that might mean um, as we think about the future? Uh, the, The woman who leads that program does hydrological modeling, and she's an economist in her background. She's incredible. And it's always amazing to see the work that she's doing. Also, I'll just note getting into the wildfire space as well, um, which is a topic that I think was of interest given all of the challenges that we've seen. So a lot of really interesting work happening there. And then the endangered and protected species, you know, there are aspects of the work that power companies do where they encounter these endangered and protected species. And this becomes particularly important, not just in terms of their day-to-day operations, right? So an example might be a a wind farm. Um, They come into contact with various uh, avian and bat species at times, but also in the planning of new infrastructure, transmission lines, taking down trees, et cetera. So the research that is done in that program is really around kind of two different aspects. One is how do we really help to support species populations such that they are healthy and don't get listed um, as endangered and protected? And then the second piece of that is if they are listed, what can be done to mitigate and to change the way power companies operate in a way that can reduce the potential to impact those species moving forward. 
Fascinating. I understand that you've previously led the Understanding Climate Scenarios and Goal Setting Activity Project. And you also mentioned at the beginning there that you've recently um, been appointed to lead the Climate Ready Program. Would you mind explaining a little bit more about those? I would love to. They're they're kind of two different sides of the same coin. So the Understanding Climate Scenarios and Goal Setting Activities was really born out of the fact that a lot of industry stakeholders were asking power companies, are you aligned with a 1.5 degree scenario? Are you going to reduce your emissions to stay aligned with the Paris Accord? And the reality was that's an actually very complicated question because there are hundreds of scenarios that are aligned with a two degree or 1.5 degree scenario. So we, we set up that project to really characterize the state of the science as it pertains to these climate scenarios and use that to inform the thinking around how does a company undertake an assessment to really understand how they are going to address their carbon emissions reductions. So many power companies are setting carbon goals, setting carbon targets. So what is the state of the science to help really inform the communication of how that fits into the bigger global um, context. Really interesting project there. I got to lead that with my colleague, Steve Rose. And now I just started this new role, which is leading EPRI's Climate Ready. So that stands for Resilience and Adaptation Initiative. And that is recognizing that as the climate is changing, as we are experiencing more extreme weather, We need a common framework for this industry that really helps us to do three things. So one is truly understand the the physical impacts of climate change. So it's really around the, the climate data piece of things. What is available? What are the resources? Where are there gaps? So put some common understanding around that. Then the second piece of it is how do you then use that data to do an assessment down to even the asset level? to really think about across the various assets and operations of a power company, how do you really think about the impact to those assets from climate change on the long term? That's that's both chronic and acute, right? So, so how do we think about things like changes in temperature that may impact our thinking on these assets long term? but also those extreme events, which might mean you're you're responding to something quickly um, that's really challenging the system. And then the third piece is once you've got the data, the physical kind of idea, uh, applied that to an asset assessment, what are your mitigation opportunities? Um, And then how do you prioritize those? Not just considering prioritization from the climate impact standpoint, but recognizing that there are so many different things that a power company needs to think about, reliability, affordability, equity, and environmental justice. So how do we really take all of these things into an account as we're prioritizing um, future investments? And this is really complicated and really important because these investments that we're making today are going to be around for decades to come. Uh, So we need this framework so that there's a common understanding, not just for the power companies themselves, but the stakeholders, regulators, investors. A lot of people are interested in this topic and need to understand how do we design the power system of the future in consideration of this changing climate. 
I certainly hear you when you say that it must be extremely complex and complicated work. I understand that you represented EFRI at the COP24 meeting, as well as the US at the International Council on Large Electric Systems. Could you tell me a little bit more about those experiences? Yeah, it's um, great. So, so much of my research is focused on North America, admittedly, but it's really nice to kind of step back and, and get into the international world, particularly because, you know, if you look at EPRI's participants, a quarter of our research is actually with um, international companies. So um, it's nice to be able to step out and have these conversations the COP meeting was a fantastic experience. It was so nice to be able to be in that environment with all of those different um, thought leaders in, in the space of, of climate and thinking about carbon emissions. I went there with my colleague to talk about the research that we had been doing on the on the climate scenarios work and got to be a, a panelist on one of the um, sessions that was being held there. So a really need experience to have such thoughtful and like deeply technical and knowledgeable people asking you questions, right? You love when you get a good question. So it was fantastic and and really fun to kind of hear the different perspectives. You know, in some ways, the international conversation can be quite different. And then in other ways, I hear so much that's the same. It's been a, a nice way to kind of add a different perspective into my research. Amazing. And now you're a very accomplished woman, Morgan. You've also published a book, Sustainable Electricity 2, A Conversation on Trade-Offs. Yeah. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about this book and, and perhaps also the journey to getting it published? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Writing a book is quite the challenge. So uh, thanks for noticing <laughs> that it's been out there. Um, it, so I am the co-editor on that book with um, my colleague, Jessica Fox, who actually was one of the first people um, to really drive the sustainability research at the Institute. And the book is really, it really came out of a number of conversations that we were having with our participating companies around trade-offs, right? So the concept of sustainability everyone will talk about that triple bottom line win, right? Driving value that is economically, environmentally, and socially responsible. And yes, that is definitely sustainable. But I would argue, and there are others in the book that argue against me, which I encourage you to um, to pick it up and, and read it, that that triple bottom line win isn't always possible. Sometimes you have to make trade-offs. In these conversations, those can get very difficult to navigate, not just because these are such important topics, but because they're also difficult to quantify. And so when you're trying to make these decisions and trying to evaluate trade-offs, when you can't even necessarily quantify exactly what the impact is uh, and let's not go further, assign a monetary value, right? That's ultimately how people would like most often to, to evaluate this. I mean, it just becomes incredibly difficult. And so what we wanted to do was really dive into that and really understand from kind of more of a narrative standpoint, how are companies evaluating trade-offs? What are some of the situations that they found themselves in? How do they move those conversations and decisions forward and, and really help our audience, our readers recognize that, you know, yes, we all want a triple bottom line win, but when we can't get there, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and how do you, how do you try your best ultimately? 
Wow. I, I'm certainly going to read that. That sounds really, really, really interesting. Where do you see utilities heading in the future? What are the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead? Yeah, it's such an incredible time to be in this industry. I mean, there is just such a groundswell of change. But I think at the end of the day, decarbonization is here to stay, right? So how do we move the power system forward with that in mind and recognize that it's not just about the decarbonization of the power industry itself, but recognize that the power industry can enable economy-wide decarbonization and really recognize and think about what that means and how we can advance the big picture um, and how the power industry can enable that. So, So decarbonization is absolutely part of it. Obviously, as I think about this new initiative, this climate ready effort, thinking a lot about how do you think about the power system of the future in a new climate? And what does that actually mean in terms of planning and investments today? Um, and then the third thing maybe I'll say, and you know, I had the, the great fortune of being able to launch last year EPRI's Equitable Decarbonization Initiative, which I just um, passed leadership on to my colleague, Brenda Brickhouse. Um, it's in such good hands with her. But how do we leverage this clean energy transition to advance a more equitable future? So you hear a lot of people talk about the just transition, um, and it's a really important conversation, right? How do we fairly allocate both the costs and the benefits, right? I think that's an important point. It's not just how do we allocate the costs, but also how do we fairly allocate the benefits as well? of this transition um, to communities broad-based and recognize that that fair allocation has to think about um, disadvantaged and vulnerable communities today, but also historically disadvantaged communities, that idea of retributional justice, right? Um, so I think that that's really important. And then it's, it's really not just about thinking about how do we do the transition fairly, but that important kind of just dial change of it's not just doing that transition, but leveraging the transition to really drive economic equality in communities that are served by the various power companies. So decarbonization, operating in a different climate and thinking about the social impacts, I think are three really important um, and, and kind of uh, critical drivers of the way that we're thinking about this power system transition. Hey there, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this episode, there's a few quick things you can do to show your support. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Leave me a comment letting me know your thoughts and share this podcast with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the interview. So I will pivot now to focus a little bit more on your personal journey. And one of the questions I'd really like to ask you is what's been your path to get to where you are today? You're clearly very passionate about sustainability. How did you get to this position that you're in now? Whenever someone asks me this question, I reflect back on a question my my father asked me a couple years ago. And we were, I want to say we were at breakfast or something. He was like, are you happy? I was, I was totally <laughs> taken aback. I was like, 
yes, I'm, yes, I'm happy. What do you mean? Why do you ask me that question? Such a, like, do I look unhappy right now? Um, and, he, and he looked at me and he said, you know, if you had ever asked me, would my daughter be in the utility business? I would never have said yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's fair. Okay, that's a better question. <laughs> um, and that is fair, right? That was that was not um, that was not on the purview. So when I went away to college, I went in as a, a biology major. I thought I was going to be a science teacher. Um, changed my major at three times, probably much to the dismay of my parents, but, um, you know, I was young and trying to figure it all out. Um, and ultimately graduated out with a, a business administration degree. And so, so my background's business, which is interesting because I think in, in my, in the space I operate, almost everyone feels like they're either an environmentalist kind of that environmental background or, um, or an engineer. And I, I'm neither. Um, so I'm a bit of a rare bird, but I think it, it brings a different perspective. That's important. But when I graduated out, uh, it was during the economic down, downturn and, um, trying to get a job in New York city with a business degree during an economic downturn is no easy task. So um, this is a really important lesson in networking, right? Uh, so I luckily had a friend who had a parent at Con Edison of New York. So that's the utility in New York um, and helped kind of illuminate for me an opportunity there uh, in what's called their gold program. Um, so growth opportunities for leadership development. It's a program specifically for our students coming out of college, applied, interviewed, got in um, and figured, you know what, an 18 month leadership program at an uh, S&P 500 company, you know, with the ability to do three six month rotations, one of which I would be a supervisor of union personnel. This is just a good experience, right? Let, let me let me take this 18 months. This, this is a good experience. So I was like, and then I'll, and then I'll go and, and do what I want to do, whatever that was. But I fell in love with it. I loved working at Con Ed. It was fascinating. I realized that the um, utility power industry was just, um, it's the lifeblood. It's the circulatory system or the, some people call it the nervous system, right? Of this, of this country. And so I really fell in love with it. My third rotation on that program was one of a two-person team looking at um, and developing the RFP for an offshore wind farm off of Long Island, which if anyone's following the news is finally um, over a decade later moving forward. So it's nice to, nice to see that work finally coming to fruition. Um, and, and that's when I first heard about sustainability. And I, I tried to kind of figure out what it was. And as I learned more, I was like, oh, you know what? This concept makes a lot of sense to me. How do you do well by doing good, right? How do you profit and build a business by doing the right thing? Um, so with that in mind, I, I got a job in the Environment Health and Safety Group, which had the sustainability program. I didn't move into the sustainability role, but I, I kind of navigated. I knew I wanted to get into that organization. Um, and then I told my VP at the time, I was like, I, I want that guy's job. I want to be the sustainability manager. And so my VP said, okay, you need, you need a degree. So he helped me get into the Columbia program, did my master's there in sustainability management, 
the, the stars aligned. And as I was graduating out, the gentleman who had the job at the time was moving on and I got to move into it. So my, my final role at Con Ed before I moved over to EPRI was as their sustainability manager um, and really got the opportunity to learn firsthand what it means to kind of evolve a sustainability strategy, do that voluntary disclosure and really drive initiatives that and that map up to that sustainability program. So, so that was some great experience. It's where I got introduced to EPRI and then, and then the job at EPRI to support the sustainability research opened up. And again, the stars aligned and I, I had a chance to interview for that. And it was really difficult to leave Con Ed. I, I really enjoyed that job, but I really wanted to continue kind of driving this concept of sustainability. And I, I thought I could do that at an industry level at EPRI. Amazing. And it's really exciting to hear that um, at the beginning, you may not have had a clear idea of where you wanted to go, but you got to a point where you were able to say, I want that job and then, you know, work towards it and actually get that. Um, fantastic. Really great. Could I ask what challenges you faced in getting to where you are? I think, you know, the biggest challenge that I have is probably myself, which is not a great answer, right? But I think I'm always kind of competing with myself, thinking about how I can think, do things better. Is this the right direction? Um, so I've really been working to embrace uh, the, the done is perfect and perfect is never done mentality. Um, and, and really think about, you know, getting out of my own way um, and just keeping my eye on, on really where can I drive change? What makes me feel fulfilled? and take stock of the wins, right? So I think we all, well, maybe we don't all. I end the week and I'm like, oh my gosh, here are all the things that didn't get done, right? But then, you know, I could make an equally long list of the things that do get done um, and that are really making progress towards important work. Reminding myself of that and not being my own worst enemy, I think is, is actually a challenge that I've been really trying to work on. And what is your proudest achievement? And it could be something from work or in your personal community life. Boy, I wish I had prepared for that question better. Um, <laughs> boy, that's a great question. You know, maybe one thing I'll, I'll say, because it's, it's fresh on my mind as I move into this new climate-ready role, is, is it's really given me the opportunity to step back and look at the team that I've been able to build over the past few years. I've spent a lot of time, I mean, when I came to the Institute, there were, there were two years where it was just me working on the sustainability work. And now we have a team of 15 that is a part of the sustainability and ecosystem space. And that really, I mean, a team of 15 that's grown in the past three years, right? Um, mm. So we've, we've seen incredible growth and, and this move into the new role has given me the opportunity to step back and appreciate the growth of the research, the growth of the team. And it's a team that is diverse in many different ways, really passionate, has a really cool cultural identity. It's really rewarding to see this, this research group, the way that it has evolved, the way it's been built, and the fact that now I can step back 
And as I step away, it's really in good hands and going to be totally fine without me. Um, And that's a little sad, right? Like this is a place where I've invested a lot of time over the past few years, but it is incredibly rewarding to know that I can move on to something new and that work and our members and everything that I've built over the past few years is going to be totally fine. That's terrific. And do you have a favorite book or what are you reading now? Ah, good question. The Alchemist is my favorite book. And it actually, um, it is the book that helped me make the decision to go to Epri. So for anyone that's ever read it, you know, right? That book is all about like the big plan. How do you, how do you make decisions, et cetera. Um, And so I just, I really love that book. It is one of the few books that I've read multiple times. Um, And so every once in a while, I'm like, you know what? I need to kind of sit back and reflect. I'm going to grab that book and you can totally read it in a weekend. So that is definitely my favorite book. And who or what inspires you? Yeah, I am really lucky to be inspired by the women in my life at home. So my grandmother was a nurse and worked until she was 75. It, it's incredible some of the things that she accomplished. She was the president of her nursing association. Um, she used to travel internationally to give talks um, and she'd bring my mom and I along. Um, so I got to see her in action from a very young age, kind of taking ownership and leadership, which was really incredible. She was very strong, very smart and very accomplished. And definitely passed that down to my mom. My mom um, started as a nurse as well and actually decided before I was born to go to law school. I actually joke that I've already been to law school because uh, she was pregnant with me. I've, I've technically already taken the bar. So, you know, <laughs> if you can, if that counts when she was pregnant with me, which is amazing, right? Going to law school and, and taking the bar and passing the bar while you're um, getting ready to have a baby. My mom was a, a prosecutor for many years, assistant attorney general, and, and she's still working as well. So two women that raised families. I, I like to think my mom did pretty all right raising us. I, I feel like we're, <laughs> we're not too bad, but extremely accomplished and recognized for their work. So I had a ton to live up to. Um, and they are inspirational and I hope I make them proud. And if listeners would like to know more or would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah. um, So you can visit our website, www.epri.com slash sustainability. Um, But you can also always email me as well. So um, it's mm, so two m's, scott, s-c-o-t-t, at epri.com. I'd love to connect with anyone. It's it's really nice to be able to talk about the work and I, I enjoy being able to hear what others are doing as well. So happy to connect. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Morgan. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, comment and share this podcast. I'll be back in another month with the next episode, but until then, keep powering on.